Before we uh, hear God's word, let's pray for illumination, a way of asking God to open our hearts and minds to what God might say and reveal to us in scripture. Let's pray. Lord God, you are always speaking, yet we are not always listening. But you have something good for us, something that's gracious and truthful, something that guides us in our life. And I pray that as we hear your word spoken to us today, that we more clearly would, would see with the eyes of our hearts your son, Jesus Christ, who shows us that good way and shows us the power of your presence to overcome evil with love. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. First scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hope everyone's doing well today. My name is Andy Bassardi, as Pastor Garrett mentioned, and it is my joy to be with you today as uh, we consider... God's word together as we consider Psalm 146. If you're one of those folks who like to follow along, um, Psalm 146 is conveniently located right between Psalm 145 and Psalm 147. Page 581 in my Bible. Probably won't help you at all though. So Andy Bassardi is my name. I am the coordinator for equipping thriving congregations in the Reformed Church in America. And you may ask yourself, what does a coordinator for equipping thriving congregations do? That's a really good question. And I, when I took this position on four years ago, I decided to um, ask all the other coordinators for equipping thriving congregations in the world what they do. And so I Googled them, and I found something very interesting, and that is that I am the world's only coordinator for equipping thriving congregations. So however to this morning goes, whatever else you do today, you just met the world's greatest coordinator for equipping thriving congregations. Of course, Pastor Garrett's sitting there thinking, doesn't that also make you the worst? But I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. <laughs> I don't need that negative spirit. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. No, it really is good to be with you today. On top of this role that I have, mostly it is working in congregational health and leadership development. Um, it's, it's, I'm also, um, among those roles, I'm also a husband to Heather, a father to Micah, who's four, and Addison, who's one. 
And um, this role has brought me, actually, this was the first church in the region, great regional synod of Albany that I ever visited um, on the, in this job four years ago. And so it's so nice to be able to come back. And y'all have been so hospitable to me so far. And I must say, because I have the microphone and no one can turn it off, I think, y'all hold me steady. Parents, Pastors Garrett and Stacy are the real deal. I, I think y'all are so fortunate to be in partnership with one another, and I've gotten to meet over the past year. I've been working in particular with Pastor Stacy in a, in a program for ministers in their first five years of ministry, and I've been able to meet some of the folks with whom, some of y'all folks as well, not just Pastors Garrett and Stacy, but um, y'all are the real deal too. And so I'm so glad that y'all are in partnership with one another. And it's just a joy to be with you today. We're talking about stewardship, which is always a great, um, a great sermon topic for the pastor who gets to jump on an airplane after this and fly far away. No matter what I say today, I'll be several hundred miles away by tonight. But when we think of stewardship, a great definition was given of, of taking care of something for someone else. I tend to think of it in terms of an investment, that a steward is someone who invests in something. And we are going to be looking at two kinds of investment today in Psalm 146. One kind of investment says, it is what it is. The world just is the way it is. And then there's a kind of investment that says, the world is only the way it is until it isn't. So please join me in reading Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers, but upholds the orphan and the widow. The way of the wicked the Lord brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. So the, Psalm 146, which conveniently comes between Psalm 145 and 150, that section of Psalms was written at a time where Israel has come back from exile. So for those who are not history nerds like I am, the story of the Old Testament in one minute goes something like this. Abraham's children become um, Isaac's children, become Jacob's children, become 12 tribes. Those 12 tribes in a time of famine go into Egypt. The, during their time in Egypt, they are enslaved. They are liberated by Moses. Moses takes them through the wilderness on a journey that's supposed to take 11 days, but actually takes 40 years, and they wander about and they find themselves in the land of Canaan, where they become the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel becomes the kingdom of Israel under Saul, David, and, and uh, Solomon, 
after Solomon, it divides into two countries. The first country is 10 of the tribes of Israel. They're the northern tribes. We call them Israel. The southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, become the nation of Judah. Judah watches while Israel is carried off into exile by the Assyrian Empire and disappears from human history. The Assyrians are taken over by the Babylonians. The Babylonians invade Judah and take them into exile for approximately 75 years. After those 75 years, the Babylonians are conquered by the Persians, and the Persians let Israel go home. That's when Psalm 146 is written, and is basically the whole story of the Old Testament in one minute. You're welcome. You, I feel like you should too, Garen. It's so it is at this time. So to say that the, the, to say that the very words praise the Lord are a little bit complicated would be an understatement. Because on the one hand, Judah, or Judah and Benjamin, are home. They're back in the land that God gave them. On the other hand, everybody is speaking Persian, and there's a prince that oversees them. There's a guy named Zerubbabel who leads over them, who was going to be my son's name, but my wife and I disagreed on the name and compromised on not picking it. Some of y'all know how compromise works that way. But that's all right. I often pick that as my name at Panera Bread or Starbucks. With great apologies to anyone who might be a barista. So Zerubbabel is the governor, but everybody knows Zerubbabel answers to the prince. And the prince is the symbol of the status quo. The simple phrase, it is what it is. The world just is this way is symbolized by the prince. Princes come and princes go, but nothing seems to change. To, so for Psalm 146 to say, do not trust, or another way we could put it is, do not invest in the prince, is a bold and audacious statement. One could argue that if this psalm got to, into the wrong hands, heads would roll. You see, stewardship is ultimately about trust, too. When I invest my 401k, or for us nonprofit types, it's called a 403b, I have a certain amount of trust that when they say, this is your annual percentage of return, that in the long run, that's going to happen. I trust them. I invest in a future. And so when the psalm says, don't invest do not trust in princes, it, is remi it reminds us very quickly that the status quo works for some people, but it doesn't work for everyone. That as Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams reminds us that when the systems or the status quo does its job, there are people who are left out and held down. Psalm 146 names some of these groups, the oppressed, who can't get their fair shake in court. The hungry, who can never quite be satisfied with food. The prisoners, who have no hope of release. The blind, who have no hope of sight. Those who are bowed down, which is an interesting phrase. I would use the word held down. Who have no hope of being able to rise up. The strangers, who are unwelcome and unloved. The orphan and the widow who are not upheld. Another translation says they are not sustained 
which means they live a fragile existence. This group of people, these groups of people are left out, left down, ignored by the status quo. So while the status quo works for some folks, it does not work for everyone. And as we are reminded by figures such as Albert Einstein and others, what, what is, and Albert Camus, what is needed for evil to prosper is not that wicked folks have their plans, but that good people do nothing and just say it is what it is. You see, the princes live and the princes die. Their plans they make and they never come to fruition. But the reason those plans might succeed is because good people say it is what it is. We get resigned, we get cynical, and we invest in the now. And what invest in the now looks like is we say, I'm just going to get mine. I'm going to get what I need for me and my family, and everyone else will just have to do the same. Psalm 146 says, do not put your trust in the status quo. Do not just go out there to get yours, to get, to get what's enough for you and your family. Maybe ask the question, does it have to be the way it is? You see, Psalm 146 gives us another opportunity for investment. It says, the people who are left out and held down when the status quo does its job, that is not a bug in the program. It is, in fact, a feature. The status quo exists and it thrives because some people get left out and held down. But what Psalm 146 says is the way of God is different. The way of God actually involves a change in the status quo. That those who can't get their fair shake in court get justice. That those who are hungry get fed. That those who are prisoners are set free. That those who are blind have their eyes opened. That those who are bowed down, held down, get lifted up. That the strangers get welcomed and cared for. That the orphan and the widow are upheld. That the way of the wicked is brought to ruin and the way of righteousness rises to the surface. That is a different future that we get to invest in. That is in a stewardship of hope. A pastor in Palestine named Mitri Raheb once said, hope lives in the present, but it invests in a different future. The way we organize our lives, the way we invest our time, our talents, our treasure, the way we invest every moment that ticks from our clock can either invest in the status quo or it can invest in a better world. Indeed, it only is what it is until it isn't. Until the church lives out a spirit of generosity where not only do we, do we give and serve those in front of us to build relationships with people who are not like us, but we also work for a world where people are cared for. What we find buried in this, in this psalm, this psalm of wisdom, we see the way of wisdom here when it says in verse 8, the Lord loves the righteous. Now everywhere else in this psalm, those are circumstances that happen to us. We are imprisoned or we are made hungry or orphaned or widowed, all of those things. But what we find in verse 8 is that the Lord loves the righteous. Righteousness is a choice. 
And so that leads me to say maybe righteousness is at the key of what it means to steward a life toward a better future. But what is righteousness? There's a useful quote here from Cornell West that I love to use in this circumstance because righteousness has two sides of the same coin. The, the quote goes something like this, love in private feels like tenderness. Love in public looks like justice. Righteousness has two meanings. The first meaning is that which we do in our individual relationships, where we see someone in need and we help them. We give money to food banks that people might be fed. We send money all around the world that good things will happen. We welcome the stranger in our lives. We build relationships with people who are not like us. This is righteousness. On the other side of the coin is that we work toward a better world. A world where they are less hungry in the first place where people are not held down when the status quo has done its job. And as church, we are often divided in that some folks really emphasize the personal righteousness, the doing good things for other people. Other folks really emphasize changing the world and changing the systems and structures. And sometimes we talk past each other when in reality, both are needed. We need folks who will care for the person right in front of them, and we need people who will work for a better world, for better structures, a better status quo. And so, Linwood, as you consider what stewardship means for you, I encourage you to take an inventory of your own life and to wonder what's one thing I do that invests in the status quo that could invest in a better world? What's one activity I have that right now I invest in me and mine that could invest in all of us. After all, as followers of Jesus, we are here for all of us. And what my God says is I am reconciling all things in Jesus Christ to myself. Every moment, every day, every person reconciled. That's a, that's a vision of the future worth investing in, right? Please pray with me. God, for the better future that you have for us, I pray. I pray for a vision of a world where, the, where it is what it is isn't enough. I pray for a future in which the oppressed have justice, the hungry have food, the prisoners are free, the blind have their eyes opened, those who are bowed down are lifted up, where the way of righteousness is loved, where strangers are watched over, orphans and widows are upheld and sustained, and the way of wickedness is brought to ruin and forgotten. Thank you that it is you who reigns over all things, that this is your world, and that you are healing and repairing it one at a time. May the next chapter start with us. In Jesus' name, amen.